0: Hello and welcome to this speedless installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about refurbishing TV tie-in toy gun and holster sets, plus customizing Heartland Western figurines in under thirty minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but ride solo for these speedless and bonus installments. With me today is David Stanley whose amazing work refurbishing TV tie-in toy gun and holster sets, as well as his skills in creating customized Heartland Western figurines, is truly impressive. I recently discovered photos of David's work on the Western Toys Facebook group and reached out to him to join me for this Speed Listen segment. Hello, David. How are you? Morning, Paul. Doing great, man. How did you first become a fan of Westerns?
1: Oh, hey, I grew up in that time. The TV cowboys were riding a range of your living room every night. My dad was a big Western buff, so that pulled me in.
0: I think that did it for most of us. There seems to be a family connection to guys of our age that our dads were watching Westerns, so we ended up watching Westerns. Sure. And those shows are alive today and all the reruns that they have on the Western channels and things like that. And I really think that they hold up well, more so than a lot of other genres of TV.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: What were some of your favorite shows growing up?
1: I was a big Roy Rogers fan, somewhat Gene Autry, but really the TV guys that were on Weekly, Cheyenne, Maverick, Sugarfoot, Rifleman, those kind of things.
0: What were the first Westin tie-ins you began to collect, and what prompted that?
1: I was redoing a room in my home, basically setting up a home office and computer room. And I was trying to figure out how my decor was going to go. And all of a sudden, I remembered I had a Gene Autry holster set that my dad bought me in 1959 for Christmas. So I went to the top of the garage, and I dug that thing out cleaned it up, and I said, this is the way I'm going to go. I'm going to go Western. And so I made a shadow box and stuff for it, and that's where it started. I had to do some cleanup on that. There were some parts I needed for the guns and this and that, and that got me into the eBay thing and searching online for vintage toys.
0: You said I built a shadow box for it. So you had some skills going in. Was this part of your life growing up? Was it what you did for a living? Where did the handyman stuff come from?
1: Throughout my young life, I was pretty talented as far as the arts and crafts things go. Drawing, jewelry making, things like that. I took every art class I could get throughout high school and so on and so forth. But, you know, what I did for a living, I was an x-ray technician, had nothing to do with it. And a lot of it is just, you know, being around my dad, what my dad taught me. And like I say, I think the arts and crafts thing, I just had a natural talent.
0: As an x-ray technician, I would imagine that the hands-on arts and crafts stuff you were doing was a good release and a good addition to your life, enriched it.
1: Absolutely. This is my therapy, man. (laughs) (laughs) I am in southeastern Kentucky, near a little town called Pikeville, Kentucky.
0: So you decided to decorate your man cave in a Western style, and you had this first Western Gene Autry holster with the guns, What made you realize that you could go online and start finding bits and pieces to fix the guns?
1: Somebody turned me on to eBay because I had no idea. I knew there was an eBay, but I didn't know they had all the stuff that they had.
0: It's a gigantic rabbit hole to fall down, isn't it?
1: Oh, yes. And once this thing started for me, and it started when I was doing the shadow box and the things for that Gene Autry set, I actually started the day that I brought them out of the top of the garage. When I got that toy in my hand, it was like, wow, it all came back. Childhood, the things that you did, the memories that you have from those toys, phenomenal, or it was to me.
0: I was a big man from uncle fan back in the day, and the ideal man from uncle toy gun was like the be all and end all for me. (laughs) And it still evokes memories. Right. You were one of the guys, you had actually kept that holster all those years up in a box. You bring it out. You're looking at it. What needed to be done to that holster to begin with?
1: It was in very good shape. But naturally, the leather over 40 years, 50 years is going to dry out. So I just conditioned the leather real good. I think what helped that set a lot is it's the ones that have the metal faces on them, the metal pockets. So just the back part of the pockets and the belt itself is leather. So I think that made a huge difference in the set surviving. But I cleaned it up good. Then I conditioned the leather. This was the very beginning for me, so I didn't know a whole lot about that. I never did any leather crafting prior to beginning collecting. I conditioned them with saddle soap, and I used regular shoe polish on the black part of them and cleaned them up good. But it seemed to have worked. They're in a box hanging on my wall, and they've been there ever since they came out of the top of the garage. It took me a couple of weeks to get everything together, get them cleaned up, and put in a shadow box and all that. But they've been there over 20 years.
0: This is a 20-year effort of collecting and refurbishing. You're on eBay. What are you looking for when you began? And what are you looking for today? Is there a difference between the two?
1: Oh, yeah. When I first started, I was more into the TV-related cowboys and things like that. And I wasn't so interested in the older cast iron and those kind of things. And the really old cast irons right now, I'm still not interested in, but the cast iron Texans and the transition Texans and the long toms and American, those are things that I'm chasing today. And they're very expensive at this point in time. I wished I'd have bought them 20 years ago. They were expensive then, but not like they are now.
0: (laughs) Yes. As more and more people come to a hobby, obviously, all those prices go up with the demand. But do you look for condition when you make a choice about buying something? Or does that matter? You figure you can fix it up no matter what shape it's in?
1: No, no. You do have to look at condition because a lot of times, especially with the holster, the leather will be so far gone. There's really nothing you can do with it other than replace it. And you don't put new material on an old piece because it makes the problem look worse. It draws more attention to the fact that the other stuff is old and raggedy looking. So you have to look for good condition stuff and stuff that you think that you can clean up and make look fairly even if you have to put new stuff in.
0: Do you often look for two of the same things if you're looking for parts of one to go on parts of another?
1: I haven't really done that because in most cases, if I need a part, just a piece of something, I can make I have over 200 original patterns. No kidding. I have the original leather, and they've been backed with cardboard so that they don't fall apart.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: In most cases, I can create a piece if I need a piece. The hardest thing is specific hardware. This guy that's reproducing things, I'll give him a little plug here. Charter toy repair, I think, is what he goes by on eBay. And he does guns. He does parts for guns, springs. He does all kinds of stuff. That's another thing that you got to watch when you're buying a gun. Ask them if the dagon thing fires and if it stays closed when it's fired. Because if it doesn't, you're going to have to replace that stuff. And if you don't know what you're doing, you get in there, it can get expensive quick.
0: <laughs> as well as real tricky.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you first started this 20 years ago, was there anybody else collecting these types of things or doing what you do?
1: Oh, hundreds, probably thousands collecting. But as far as doing the repairs and building the holster sets and stuff, there was a few guys online. Actually, what happened is I bought a set of holsters from a guy on eBay. And they were part old and part new. He had the parts that were so bad, they couldn't be fixed. He replaced with new and they were just really pretty. And at that time on eBay, you could get people's information and you could email them. You can't do that now. But I emailed him and me and him talked and exchanged some ideas and stuff. And he was actually the instrumental in getting me started in doing the holster sets. The guy's name was Vern Sandback. Vern has passed on now, but he was really great to me. Sent me patterns, sent me hardware, and didn't charge me for that stuff.
0: That's the brotherhood right there, right?
1: Absolutely. And I was amazed at the people in this hobby that are like that. There was another guy, Chuck Lehman. Vern put me in touch with him. And hey, that guy would tell me anything I asked him. If I was having a problem or issue, he was right there. I'd send him an email, boom. He'd send me something right back. He told me how to do my patterns and what I needed to do my patterns and so on and so forth.
0: When you're talking about patterns, are these things that you've made up yourself or things that came from the manufacturer?
1: Some of the ones I got are from originals. Like I say, there's probably close to 200 that are from originals, but everything that I have is patterned from an original. If I buy a holster set, I don't necessarily have to take that apart to make a pattern from it. But sometimes I'll buy one really old that I know I can't fix, but I can get a pattern from.
0: Because what I've seen of your work, the difference between what you start with and what the end product is, they look brand new. They're amazing.
1: Thank you. Recently, I've been real fortunate. I bought a few things that were in fairly good condition. I did a couple of Hopalong Cassidy sets that the only thing I really had to do was put new hardware on cleaned them up, and I replaced the main belt with something new. But the pockets themselves were in pretty good shape, so I didn't have to replace any of that, and it looked great. I just popped it on eBay, and it sold really good. Matter of fact, I did two like that, and I bought them really cheap. And it's a fun thing for me just to see how much better I can make them. The worst thing for me is I forget to take a before picture because I'm so hot into doing it, I want to do it. I want to take them apart and get started as soon as I get them. That's another thing for me. Once I start something, I'm consumed by it. I just got to get it done.
0: (laughs) Do you have collectors contact you and ask you to refurbish their items?
1: Yes, I do. I don't do as much repair stuff as I do just making new stuff. The repair stuff is really tricky. I have guys contact me and they send me pictures and stuff and they say, can you fix this? I can't really tell unless I have it in my hand. I can't tell what kind of condition that leather's in looking at that picture, really.
0: It has to be a hands-on thing.
1: Yeah, because the leather can be really rotten in one place and look good in another place. And then your next situation is the old rivets. In the originals, they used a split rivet all the time. And man, those things, they put them in with a machine and the ends of it curls and goes down in that leather. Over time, that metal and the chemicals that are in the leather, when the leather was treated or cured, they don't mix very well. And you'll end up with all around your rivet. The leather will be completely rotten. And you try and take that rivet out, (laughs) you're in serious trouble because you've got a big hole there.
0: Things begin to fall apart just from the age and from the chemical reactions.
1: And the thing is, the guy that sent that to you, he doesn't know that. So then he's saying, man, you destroyed my stuff.
0: Ooh, that's not good.
1: You got to be careful. What I do, if the guy sends me some pictures and it looks like it's reasonably possible, I'll say, send it to me. If I can do it, or if I think I can do it, I will. If I don't, I'm sending it right back. I'm not doing anything.
0: That makes a good policy.
1: Yeah, I have one older gentleman. I mean, he's 20 years older than me. He's 88 or 89, something like that, in Tennessee. And I've done a whole bunch of stuff for him.
0: Let's switch gears here a little bit because you also do these incredible custom Heartland figures. And to me, this is a whole different craftsman skill set. You've gone from refurbishing leather and reworking toy guns into literally sculpture. How did you come about finding the Heartland figures and what gave you the impetus to start trying to make the custom ones?
1: I go to this toy gun show in Greensboro that a fellow named Don Raker does. He does it almost annually. There's been a few years we haven't had it, but I go there and I had been into collecting for several years and I stayed away from the Heartlands and and I didn't have Heartlands as a kid, but there was a guy there. His name was Buzz Stetzer, I believe was his last name. And Buzz did customs and he refurbished Heartlands and done repaints and stuff like that. I had a Maverick gun and holster set, and I wanted to do a shadow box for it. I had a Maverick picture, and I had a Maverick coin, and the song on the TV show was Living on Jackson Queens, so I had a little spread out of Jackson Queens cards. So I had all of that in a shadow box, and I thought, man, I want one of those Heartland Maverick gunfighters to stick in the middle of that holster set in that shadow box. Buzz had a really nice one there, and he sold it to me. So that was the beginning of it. When I got back home, it just kind of went from there. Right now, I believe I've got all the Heartland figures except Johnny McKay, and I won't pay the price for him.
0: They do get expensive, don't they?
1: Yeah, Johnny McKay is ridiculously high.
0: The holy grail of the Heartland collectors. Yeah. How many custom Heartlands have you done? What's the process? Do you start with another Heartland figure, or do you have to start from scratch?
1: I always start with another figure. If a character comes to my mind that I want to do, then I start looking at the original heartlands to see what's close as far as clothing, facial, because you want it to look like the person. To me, there's a lot of guys, they say they're doing a custom heartland. What they've done is they've took an original heartland and they've repainted it.
0: What you do is completely different, though. You've got this Elvis figure from Flaming Star, and we put some photographs of that up on the blog, SixGunJustice.com just to show folks what you do. And it looks like Elvis in Flaming Star.
1: Exactly. That's a custom. If you're just repainting, that's a repaint. That's all fine and good. And it's your skill
0: set. But it's not a custom figure.
1: To me, it's not. I looked at one just the other day, and it looked really nice. I'm going to be wrong. It said Chuck Connors series branded. And what he had done was taken an original Heartland Chuck Connors rifleman and just repainted and put him on the pinto horse like Chuck used in that show. Like I said, it looked really good, but to me, that's not a custom. It's simply a repaint to make it look like something else.
0: You like to take figures that haven't been cast in any way and resculpt them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And in the case of the Elvis thing, I took the head off of another figurine, and I molded it in a silicone mold. And then I poured the head in resin Those pictures that I sent you in construction, if you look, you can see the body part is an original because it still has the paint and stuff on it, but the head is all white because that was a head that I poured in a mold. So like I'm saying, you look for a figure that is near what you want, and then you have to make it look like a character. If it takes putting a head on or changing a head, a lot of the the Hopalong Cassidy, man, that's a Roy Rogers. When you would put the eyebrows and stuff on, it looks like Hopalong Cassidy. I never thought the original Heartland Cheyenne looked like Clint because he had a nice square jawline and chin and stuff. That Heartland figure didn't have that strong chin, just didn't have that. So I did a facial sculpting on that, and I did a Josie Wales and a creature for Clint Eastwood that I did some sculpting on. And I did a couple from Lonesome Dove that I had to do some sculpting on to make it look like Tommy Lee. And of course, Robert Duvall, none of the Heartland figures are partially bald. And to me, that's the most important thing is to make it look like the character you are trying to create. If it doesn't visually look like that character, then you did not create a custom.
0: David, thank you so much for spending your time with me here today. I really appreciate your skill and your friendship. I wish you the best of luck with all of these. And I would encourage all of our Sitcom Justice podcast listeners to go over to the blog and see the work that you do and then follow up on the Western Toy Facebook group and see the other things that you're doing. It's an amazing skill. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep your masks up. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride.